0: Good morning, Harvest. Uh, as already mentioned, many of you know who I am. My name is Russell. I'm the youth director uh, here. But those of who don't know, that's who I am. I'm the youth director here at uh, at Harvest Bible Chapel, and it is so cool to be involved in this Harvest Youth Takeover Sunday. Like, so encouraged by uh, our, our students as they're up here serving uh, on the worship team or just doing announcements right now, uh, or they're going to be handing out Bibles in just a second, or they're going to be greeting you as you came in. I hope you were blessed by them this morning in the sea of green uh, as you came in uh, this morning. But you are going to have to turn to a—use uh, your Bibles right now and turn to John chapter 20. Okay, if you don't have a Bible, um, you can put your hand up, and our ushers and our students and our leaders will be more than happy to put a Bible into your hands— and uh, it'll be a minute before we get into this text. Um, but I want to say again, uh, just how cool uh, it is that we get to gather together and we get to um, be a part of, of a church that preaches God's word and preaches the truth of God's word. And how cool is it to be a part of this series, Questioning God, where it's uh, not necessarily questions that are, that are answered from, uh, from the front very often, but uh, as, as we want to seek truth and as we want to seek God's leading, uh, sometimes we need to ask these questions uh, and see what He has for us. So we, we looked at how does a good loving God allow pain and suffering? Or aren't all church uh, goers, aren't all Christians hypocrites? And I got tasked uh, with a doozy of a question this week. I got tasked with the question of hasn't science disproven God? Thanks, Kai. It's a. Uh, um, Uh, it's, it's, It's a good question, it's a hard question, but hasn't science disproven God, or to expand a bit, hasn't the progress of scientific discovery removed the need of God to explain all life as we know it? Now, for some of us, that may not be the view that we hold to, and I understand that, but for some of us here, we may hold to that view, or at least something like it. Perhaps not quite to the point of disbelief. You know, maybe you're brand new to the faith. You, you just accepted Christ uh, as Lord. You understand the grace of God. But w- what about the relationship of him and science? Are they really at odds with one another? Or perhaps you are here this morning as a skeptic. You, you came with a family member. You came with friends. Uh, maybe, maybe you heard about this series and you wanted to come check it out. Whatever it may be. We're stoked that you're here, but maybe for you, the idea of God is just old fashioned. You know, after all, this is the 21st century. You know, maybe it was a good good bedtime story for our grandparents when they were children, but in today's day of logic and reason, in a time of technological advancement and greater knowledge of how the world works, hasn't God now been pushed off the table in order to make way for the progress of mankind, or at least here in the Western world? Maybe some time ago, you know, we collectively believed in God or or at least the idea of God as a nation, but we haven't seen him in a while. And frankly, we have moved on to more calculated and tangible reasons for the existence of life. And we've done this because we found that we could test it in a lab. And since we can test it, it can be either proven or disproven. And that just makes way more logical sense to me as I try to figure out how this all gets explained and how all of this works. Perhaps that is your view this morning. Or... Perhaps your view is like, great, science, fantastic. Russ, I dropped that in grade 10 after it wasn't mandatory anymore. Are you kidding me? Like, are you gonna use like big words and stuff? Like, this is the morning, man. Science, you're bringing all this stuff up. Well, if that's you, let me say this. Like, don't tune out. Okay, don't, don't tune out. Well, we're gonna get into some heavy stuff maybe, yeah? But I want you to stick with me. See, I don't have a PhD, okay? So, so I don't speak as if I have a PhD, You know, I'm not R.C. Sproul or or G.K. Chesterton or or, uh, D.A. Carson or N.T. Wright or anyone else smart enough to have their name leveled up to initials-only status. (laughs) Stick with me in this, all right? You're gonna benefit from this all the same. And on the other side of that coin, however, I'm also not, for you keeners out there, I'm not gonna get into absolutely everything. There would be no time. In fact, I'm only really scratching the surface now, this is such a huge topic, and it would take weeks on its own as its own teaching series. So this is kind of like the Coles Notes version. Now, whatever your uh, understanding, whatever your level of understanding is, I want us to get right out of the way and say what this morning's message is not going to be about. Because when you hear, hasn't science disproven God, your, your mind might go immediately to a few things. This is not a creation versus evolution message. I'm not gonna stand up here and give you the, the, the one side or the other and which is true and which isn't. This isn't uh, not about how dinosaurs fit into the context of the Bible, nor is it about how um, the, the Grand Canyon was formed. Instead, no, I want us to think about something that's entirely different when this question is asked. Rather than jump into, well, I believe, and fill in the blank, which we're very quick to do on both sides of the argument, I want us to question the statement Hasn't, or question the statement, science has disproven God. Inasmuch as uh, some, through the study of science, question the existence of God. So let me say that again. I want us to question the statement, science has disproven God, inasmuch as some who have studied science question the existence of God. And I want to help illustrate that by using my boy Thomas in John chapter 20. So I've told you to look, open up to John 20. If you're already there, turn to verse 24 where it says this, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So a little bit of context, Jesus has been crucified, he is now uh, risen from the dead and and has appeared to all the disciples but Thomas at this point. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Jeez, Thomas, lighten up. I mean, your best friends just told you that this guy that you have been following for the last few years, the one that you believed is the Messiah who was put to death and is now back, as he said he would be, by the way. They got all excited. They came to you and said, hey, guess what? We have seen the Lord, and you had to go and be a sad chat about it. You have to be a skeptic, Thomas. See, earlier in the gospel accounts, there's gonna be verses up on the screen back here. Early in the gospels accounts, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem, that he would be put to death, but that three days later, he would rise. Matthew 16, 21, Mark 8, 31. See, you knew the story, Thomas. You had all the details given to you, but you had to say, unless I see physical evidence that this guy is Jesus, I will never believe, unless I see physical evidence. Sound familiar? Maybe you say, unless I have physical evidence that for the existence of God, I will never believe. Show me the holes, Thomas said, show me the holes. Show me the holes in his hands, show me the holes in his side, show me the holes, and then I'll believe. But until then, I will never. So, for our doubting Thomases out there, here are some holes with a little bit of play on words, here are some holes in the statement, science has disproven God. And these are holes that we cannot ignore. Two holes to be exact, there are a few more, but they really boil down uh, to these two. Remember I said I want us to question that statement. I want us to analyze it and test it, like we analyze and test things in the lab. And my prayer is that by testing this statement, That you too would begin to see these these holes and consequentially lead to your own journey of truth, and by the grace of God, bring you to a point of belief. So, hole one. Hole one in the statement, Science has disproven God, is this Science has disproven God is not a scientific statement. That's ironic. This may seem small, but this is important. The statement takes many forms. Uh, science has buried God, uh, science has removed the need for God. If science hasn't actually killed God, it's at least rendered him unrecognizable, etc. But the whole in this statement is that they assume that science, which by definition is the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment, thank you, Oxford Dictionary, but in normal person version, it's the study of physical, material, and the natural world. So this whole, then, is assuming that the study of the physical, material, and natural world can somehow disprove the existence of God, a metaphysical, immaterial, and supernatural being. It's like saying, rocks are hard, therefore water isn't wet. You're mixing two disciplines of study and using one to make factual statements about the other. The study of geology, okay, rocks and crystals, etc., cannot give you factual statements on the validity or properties of hydrology, the study of water. Saying rocks are hard, therefore water isn't wet doesn't make sense. Similarly, science cannot give factual statements on the validity or properties of theology, the study of God. It by definition can't do it. Scientific practice and formula are no longer relevant. The moment one says science has disproven God, they have exited the arena of science and stepped into the arena of theology and have now entered into a theological conversation. Therefore, their argument for God's existence must then be theologically grounded, not scientifically grounded. So the statement science has disproven God is not good science. That was a quick call. Okay. Quick hole, second hole. We're gonna spend a little bit more time on this one. Hole two, science has disproven God falsely assumes that science and God are at odds with one another. Or perhaps in a more general sense, science and religion are at odds with one another because that's really the two camps that are being argued. You're either in one or two of these camps. Camp one, the camp of science, Okay, the camp of reason and discovery and testability and fact with their PhDs and volume textbooks. Okay, camp two, the, the camp of, of, of religion, the camp of faith and moral codes with their radicals and holy books. And, and these camps are at odds with one another, or at least on the surface they seem to be at odds with one another. And I want to illustrate this. Now, if you grew up uh, around here or if you grew up uh, uh, in the camp culture around here, you might know a little bit about what I'm talking about. Any pioneer people here? Camp Pioneer, throw your hands up. Represent. Sweet. Any Minioe peeps? Yeah. Hand- oh, boy. <laughs> a lot more. Uh, any Wajiduan? Yep. One, two, three. Awesome. Any other camps? Sorry to put you in the other category. Yeah. Sweet. I don't have enough time to mention all camps up here. I apologize. Now, I was a Minioe guy growing up, and, uh, and we always saw Pioneer Camp as competition. Hey, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm talking about. We always saw Pioneer Camp. No, we didn't hate each other or anything like that. And the competition was usually friendly, but there was this sense of like, I go to Pioneer, or I go to Minioe, and there was like this superiority, I'm better than you complex going on, and maybe it's the same today, I don't know if it is, but at least it was 15, 16 years ago when I was a a teenager on staff. And we would even see it as such, uh, that as teenage boys on staff, uh, when when we had our days off, we would hop on the bus that was rented for us, and we'd go into town, and being teenage boys, we would do dumb things. And uh, when we were caught doing dumb things, uh, the people of the town would be like, hey, what, what are you guys doing? You're not from around here, where are you guys from? We'd be like, uh, Pioneer. <laughs> Show them, get them in trouble, and then Pioneer would get a call, you guys know what your staff are doing? You're causing a disturbance down here, they're jumping in the water, tackling ducks. And we thought it was hilarious. It's, it's, it's true. <laughs> So similar to Pioneer Minioi being in different camps and our understanding as teenage staff that we belong to one and not the other, such is said about science and religion. You either belong to one or the other and surely you do not see eye to eye. They're each perceived to have different interpretations of the world and how it works. Uh, And this rift can go back uh, between the two to at least Copernicus in the 16th century. And maybe heightened in the time of Galileo in the 17th century, where their views of a heliocentric model of the universe were rebuked by the church and deemed heretics as the church held to a geocentric model of the universe. Like what, geo, what in the world? What are you talking about? So very, very basically, a heliocentric model was that the sun is at the center of the universe and all planets and stars are revolving around it. And a geocentric model is that the earth was at the center, and all planets and stars revolve around it. Well, which one do we know to be true? Anyone want to take a guess? Which one of the two? Heliocentric. Heliocentric. Right. Copernicus and Galileo were proven to be correct. Oops. Thanks, church. Way to rebuke that one. A side note, the reason I'm using quotes is the church mentioned here were only a select few in Rome. But they were seen by the world to be in power and the heads of Christianity, but in all honesty, they did not represent the true church of Christ. In fact, Galileo, who is quoted as saying, God is known by nature in his works and by doctrine in his revealed word. Let me break that apart a little bit. God, we know that God exists because of what we see in nature. And we know that he exists because he's revealed himself to us in his written word. That is a much more clear representation of the Christian church. But, however, that's not how it's seen to be and stands as a blemish in the history of the church, or better understood in the world's eye, between religion and the relation to scientific progress. So then comes the period of enlightenment between 1685 and 1815, where this gap seems to further widen. And from the enlightenment, we get Darwin, and that becomes the single greatest catalyst for the perceived expanse between the two camps. Christians say God created Okay, Darwin says man evolved. Christians get their claims from an ancient book. Darwin got his theory from his practiced science. And there we have the crux, in my opinion, of the single most argued over position that comes up in a discussion about religion between an atheist and a believer in Christ. But the argument is not actually between a supposed polarizing camp of religion and science. There's not really a science versus religion war as there is perceived to be. And I want to illustrate that by considering this. There's going to be a quote up on the screen behind me. In the words of John Lennox, an Irish mathematician, and the dude has like, if you ever want to be like soothed to sleep, you've got to listen to this guy talk. Not because he's boring, but because he's got the most like soothing voice ever. The guy's like everybody's grandpa. But an Irish mathematician and known Christian apologist says this, when we raise the question, hasn't science buried God? Of course, that refers to a popular impression that's entirely false. It is a superficial analysis that you can see at once by simply considering the following. If you have two distinguished scientists saying exactly opposite things, for example, Stephen Hawking on one side, brilliant man, absolutely, undeniably brilliant a okay, highly decorated and awarded physician and an atheist, says that there is no God. And on the other hand, a guy like William Phillips, okay, a physicist, an American Nobel Prize winner for physics. Okay, so he's no slouch. And as a Christian, says there is a God. That shows immediately the war cannot be between science and religion because you have top scientists whose qualifications are unquestionable in the same camp, end quote. One says there's a God, one says there isn't a God. Both are highly educated and highly awarded men in their field. There's not truly a war between science and religion. If there was, then all scientists would be atheists, but that's not the case. Not all scientists are are religion-hating atheists, and not all Christians are science-refuting illiterates. It is then no longer the matter of war between science and religion, but it is now a matter of worldview, the matter of the interpretive framework by which you make sense of the data of life and how you fit into it, essentially the glasses with which you view the world through. See so again. Not only does the statement "science has disproven God" immediately remove the one from saying it from the arena of science; it also fails to see the reality between the, of the relationship between the two, and it is in fact driven more by worldview than it is by any scientific means. And what I mean by that is your pre-existing conviction, based on your interpretation of the world and how you fit into it, will change the way you interpret the world of science. For example, the atheist looks at science and based on their pre-existing conviction that there is no god determines their convictions are confirmed because in their mind there's no need for a god to explain uh, how science uh, to explain how, how science brought order to the world. Alternatively, the Christian looks at science and based on their pre-existing conviction that there is a god marvels at the creativity, detail, beauty and order that god brought into the world. So, the real question then is what is your worldview? I can understand your position to some degree if you say to me there is no God. I can, I can understand it a little bit if you say that there is no God. But I cannot understand your position in any degree if you say to me there is no God because science tells me so. Because that's an unscientific statement full of false assumptions and is heavily tainted by a pre existing worldview. This isn't a matter of science versus religion or science versus a god. This is a matter of what pre existing faith claim. And that's exactly what it is. It is a faith claim, regardless of what side you're on. This is a matter of what pre existing faith claim that you or I have that affects our interpretation of reality. These two are not at odds with one another. No longer should they be described as such. So, what do I do with this then, Russ? If this isn't a science debate, but rather a theological debate based on my worldview, and if if you are an atheist this morning, you do have a theological standing, but that theological standing is that there is no God. You still have a theological understanding. If this is a debate based on that, well, where do I go from now? Where does this discussion go? Do we just throw science out the window? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, I I still don't believe, Russ. Russ. All you've done is is, is attempt to show me that this argument can't be purely made from a scientific basis, but it still hasn't changed my opinion about your God. Turn back in your Bibles, and let's finish this account of Thomas. Starting at verse 26, look what happens. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus does something very interesting here. Not only does he like Houdini himself into the room, I don't know if you noticed, it said all the doors were locked, He just appeared but he makes a beeline to the one who doubted him. Singles him out and goes straight for him. And not only that, he shows him what he needs to see in order for him to believe. He knew exactly what Thomas needed and he met him exactly where he needed to meet him. Here I am, Thomas. You doubted me, but here I am. You wanted to see the holes in my hands? Here they are. The very holes from the nails that put me on the cross where I hung and died for even doubters like you. You wanted to see the hole in my side? The the hole that the, the, the soldiers pierced into me just to verify that I was dead. But I did the miraculous, Thomas, just like I said I would. Why are you doubting? I am who I say I am, and here I am, Thomas. Do you see me now? You see, Christ cares for those who are even his biggest skeptics. And not only that, but he is the one who reveals himself to us. He's the one who says, like, okay, you're doubting me, here I am. You see, the only one capable of changing your opinion of God is God himself. And here in John 20, we have a microcosm of how God works. See, man does not search for or try and reach God. We can't do it. But rather, God himself reaches us. Even those who are skeptical of his existence. No amount of words that I speak from up here, no amount of words that, that Pastor Kai, who ever is up here speaking on a Sunday morning, will be able to convince you otherwise or change your opinion, which is why we believe that whenever we open this book, and whenever we speak the words from this book, we trust that what Hebrews 4.12, when it says that the word of God is live and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce through bone and marrow. And what 2 Timothy 3.16 says, that all scripture is breathed out by God, able, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, because this is what gets that work done. It's God himself through his Holy Spirit that will speak to you and reveal himself to you. And maybe he's standing right in front of you right now, hands out. So what are you looking for in order to believe? Or maybe to phrase it differently, what do you need to see in order for you to believe, See, Thomas gave his laundry list. What's yours? What will radically shift your worldview so that it lines up with Christ? Maybe you're not even looking. Maybe, maybe you're not even searching for it. But what if there was something that could be shown to you? Would it get you thinking? And maybe it is science, okay? And because that's what we're talking about this morning. That's what we're going to focus on. Well, what better place then to understand the creator than to study his line of work? See, after all, the Bible says in Psalm 19:1 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Okay, whoa, 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 wait, 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 Russ. Seriously? You're, you're quoting from your holy book, the one that I don't believe in, to tell me that all this got created? Your book doesn't teach science, Russ. It teaches fairy tales, man. And maybe it's got some, you know, I can concede it's got some good morals in it. I can understand that. Okay. Well, what fairy tale then? What fairy tale do you know that has an understanding of scientific properties thousands of years before they were discovered or proven to be true? What what do you mean? What do you mean, Russ? Consider these, okay? This is where we're gonna get into a little bit of science, but very, very simple. Second law of thermodynamics. Start off with a real simple one. <laughs> of which states at its basic core that the universe is constantly using, or sorry, losing usable energy and never gaining any. Okay, we started with a, a, a finite amount of energy and we're slowly winding down to nothing. Okay? This like a wind-up clock, the universe is winding down. This is proven to be true and discovered in 1850 by a man named Rudolf Clausius. Psalm 102, it's coming up on the screen. 25, 26, David says this. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. David understood And even like well that's just the bible it was translated it could they could have they could have like collaborated this well the earliest english version is 1611 king james this wasn't discovered until 1850 so that doesn't make sense either okay consider this the earth is suspended on nothing okay we know that to be true this discovery was made in 1475 by copernicus who suggested that the earth is free floating in space what what were other people thinking? Specifically, what were other religions thinking at that time? Well, popular theory among Greek mythology was suggested that the earth was held up by Atlas, some big old dude on a rock holding the whole earth. Hindus believed earth was riding on the back of four elephants standing on a cosmic turtle. Way off. (laughs) The Norse proclaimed, the earth is suspended in a giant ash tree. Also way off. But dating back to at least 3,000 BC, we have this account of Job, okay, believed to be the oldest book recorded uh, in in the Bible. Job 26, 7, I believe the uh, verse will be on the screen. He, God, stretches the north out over the void and he hangs the earth on nothing. How did Job know? How about this one? The expanding of our universe. Our universe is expanding. It started like this and it's moving like this. To this day, it's still doing it. Thanks to Einstein's theory of general relativity in 1915, guys like George Lemaitre and uh, Alexander Friedman predicted that the world is expanding. So only 100 years ago. And it was confirmed by Edwin Hubble, the dude with the telescope, in 1929 as he measured the red shift in light from distant galaxies. Now, you don't need to know what that means. You just need to know what happened. Surely no one was smarter than these dudes in our understanding of the expansion of our universe. Well, how about Job? Again, how about David? How about Isaiah? Okay, there's gonna be verses coming up on the screen. Job nine eight says, "You who alone stretch out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea." Psalm one hundred four one to two. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. Stretching out the heavens like a tent. And Isaiah forty twenty two. It is He who sits above the circle of the earth. Also understood the earth was round then, contrary to popular belief. And inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. And there are many, many more. Now, I'm, am I suggesting that these dudes deserve the, uh, the, the, the uh, credit for the discovery? No, absolutely not. I don't even think they knew that they were discovering anything. I think they just knew what innately God had revealed to them, how the universe worked, how his creation worked. So how would they understand this phenomenon thousands of years before modern science and modern progress, progressive science came to these conclusions? How would they know unless it was revealed to them? See, God, Job had conversations with God. Isaiah spoke on behalf of God. David had the Spirit of God upon him. The God of this universe revealed himself to these men in a special way. Gave them understanding in a special way. But perhaps he is here this morning revealing himself to you in a more common way. What holes are you looking for? What is it that you need to see? Maybe, 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 maybe uh, you need to look through the microscope And it's the cell or the DNA or the human genome The world's strongest supercomputers Capable of containing all the code that makes us who we are Maybe that's where you need to go Let's go look on the other side Maybe you look, need, need to look through the telescope okay, The study of the expanse of the universe And how we are still learning how vast it is Want to know a great thing about that? Look at Louis Giglio, how great is our God Google that You'll do a way better job than what I can do. Don't get caught up in the dogma that science and God don't get along. Science isn't a means to do away with God, and no longer is it a perceived stronghold to stand behind in the attack on God. Understand now that this is a matter of worldview. So, what is your worldview? Have you you, you thought about it? Does it hold water when it's tested? Have you tested it? Have you put it on trial? Have you ever brought it into the lab, the same lab that you're so quick to turn to in your position against God? I encourage you, test it. And if you're still hung up on finding God in science, keep searching for God in science. Because the more you look, the more you're gonna see his fingerprints are all over it. Perhaps you'll be among the vast number of men and women who, while in their scientific endeavors, found Christ. Men and women like molecular biophysicist Alistair McGrath. Physician and geneticist Francis S. Collins, which is a key one to to hear about. This guy is one of the leaders in the Human Genome Project right now. One of the greatest uh, uh, scientific um, projects known ever, on how they're mapping all of our DNA and mapping everything or attempting to map everything in the human genome. Astrophysicist Dr. Hugh Ross or astrophysicist Sarah Salviander, just to name a few of them. See, for them, science was how Jesus revealed himself. Science was how he revealed who he truly was, much like he did to Thomas, but in a different revelation. Revelation. So, one more time, let's turn back to our text. As the worship team comes up, I want us to look at verse 27 again. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. You see, Thomas, when presented with the reality of who Jesus was, couldn't help but cry out, my Lord and my God. Notice, though, it says eight days later. See, time passed between uh, uh, Thomas's doubts and, and Christ's revelation. It wasn't necessarily instant. And this, this may take time. But for you, maybe that has already taken a lifetime. But what's interesting about the number eight is when the number eight is used in, ref, in reference to scripture, it refers to new beginnings. This was a new beginning for Thomas and the one he was so convicted of Sorry, this was a new beginning for Thomas. And in that, this was a, a new beginning that he was so convicted of uh, uh, and so convinced of that he uh, died for his belief, would further be martyred for this trust and belief that Jesus was this risen Lord. If Christ was standing right before you today, right now, offering you a new beginning, revealing who he is, breaking through the walls that you have been putting up, holding out his hands, what is your response going to be? Is it going to be, I will never believe Or is it going to be my Lord and my God? Let's pray. God, you are so holy and you are so righteous and you are so amazing, Lord, and you have revealed yourself to us. The heavens declare your glory. Lord, I thank you that you've you've revealed yourself to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And you've revealed yourself to us through the written word that we have here in our hands. Some of us even put our hands up and ask for a Bible for the first time. Lord, this is how you reveal who you are. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us and I pray you would reveal yourself to even the most skeptical of us in this room this morning. Maybe this is just the beginning of that journey. Lord, I pray that you would be working That that just like you did to Thomas, beeline to them and say, here I am. Here I am. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Lord, that's our prayer this morning, that we would believe in you. For any of us that has doubts of you, Lord, that we would believe in you. We pray all this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.